Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. This morning, I want us, as I said earlier, that we're going to be looking at as we jump into God's Word for just a brief moment today. I know many of you have plans for mom and, and, and for what happens um, this afternoon, and we want to make sure that you have time for that. Folks are not giving me the side eye because they're late for whatever appointment you've made. Uh, but, um, but I think that there is a word, especially to encourage those that, um, that are not seen often and, or I should say, those times when what you do is not seen. We read a lot about the mothers like Mary, the mother of Jesus. Who knows? We read a lot, and on Mother's Day, they like to be, and I've even had these messages on Hannah raising Samuel. We know that. And then there are messages on others that are of, I mean, that are well-known. Sarah, mother of Isaac, Rebecca. You know, we hear these names, and we know those women. But we also get mentions of women that just, just for a brief moment, but what they have done is just as impactful and impacting. And then there are those times in what, in what you do as mothers out there. There are times that people honor it. They see it. It is front page what you do. Folks will recognize it and say, yeah, mom, that's great. And then there are those times when you do things and no one as much as says a word and I want to spend this Mother's Day highlighting those who are just barely mentioned in Scripture, but their impact is huge. And I believe that the Lord did that because we know that all Scripture is inspired by God, right? All. You know, even those names that you find hard to pronounce, God wanted it there. But even those, what we would call honorable mentions of women, of mothers, they're there for a reason, and they're just barely mentioned. And we know that everybody that, you know, not everyone that took a part in the early church experience or in the history of the scriptures, we know that everyone wasn't mentioned. But those that are, we are to take notice. And I want to highlight two this morning. I'm going to title this message, Mothers of Impact, but especially those that are barely seen. But their impact still goes on for generations. Turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Let me give context here. I'm going to be reading verses 11 and 12. It is a it is a well-known, if you are Bible readers, you know about this particular, um, um, this particular scripture. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray. But we know that this is the time when the early church was, as we would say, was going through it. This is when it got violent. This is when it got hard for the early church. And we want to see how a mother who produced an amazing son, had part in it, but she's just barely mentioned. Verse 11 and 12, well, the context, just real quick, the context is James, 
So one of the apostles, James, James was snatched up. This is when the violence got real. They, they snatched James and killed him. The way 12 says it, they grabbed him, killed him, and came for Peter. And so you're talking about two of the anchors of this early church. We get one that was just mentioned. It, 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 it doesn't say a whole lot about how. We know it's killed with the sword, but James is grabbed and Peter is next. And you can imagine the shock and the sorrow that was going on by the church that was meeting at that time because they grabbed one of their main leaders and immediately ended his life and grabbed the other one and had intent to end his. So they threw him in prison. And we know the story that as you read it, Acts 12, while Peter was sitting in prison, probably praying through, look, they already got my boy James. They get ready to, look, they get ready to take me. I'm preparing my heart and my mind to see the Lord. This is, maybe this is how, and then he probably know, maybe not, but this is how it's going to end. And he comes up, and we know the angel of the Lord appears to him and frees him. This is the only, look, guys, this is the only time when a prison break is okay with God is when God initiates the prison break because he was there unjustly. And then we get into verse 11 that I wanted to read in verse 12. Two simple verses. When Peter came to himself, as after the angel had awakened him and told him to get out, he said, when Peter came to his help, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Let's pray. Father, thank you right now for your word and even those that we think or seem obscure, but they're not. I pray, Lord, that we would gather from it, Lord, what you want done and said. I pray that we would leave here encouraged in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. You can read the rest of the story. He knocked on the door. A young lady named Rhoda answered, and he said, it's Peter. And she ran away like, no, it's not, because he's in prison. Although we're, we're in this house praying that you deliver and rescue him, Lord. Although we've gathered everyone together praying. That's another message for another time. Why are you praying if you don't believe when God answers? But, but, but here they were praying and gathering. They gathered together and they prayed. And he comes to the door and, and then finally they said he knocks again. And the person's like, well, go open the door. And then they're all excited that it's Peter. But it's where this is happening and who is the one gathering everyone that I want to focus on. Because it's Mary. It was like, yeah, Mary was that common name back then. And so they had to specify which Mary. Because we know that it wasn't Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know that it wasn't Mary of, Mag of Magdala. We say Mary Magdalene, not her last name. Um, but, but no, this was Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark. 
Well, here's the thing that I like. That John, whose name was Mark, if you go to Acts 15, and even in, um, even later in 1 Peter, I'm sorry, um, not 1 Peter, later on, Paul calls for him. It's the same Mark that was on the missionary journeys with them. It's the same Mark that Barnabas took up, Barnabas's cousin, which meant that Mary was Barnabas's aunt. It's the same Mark that bears the name of one of the four Gospels, Mark. And so what you see is a household. It is believed that her husband was probably deceased by then because the house was hers, or that she was a woman of extreme means. The house was hers. Didn't mention her husband. But what we see is that it was a place where the church gathered. It was a place where she opened her home up for believers to come and gather. And among other things to do is to pray. And so when, when everything broke out bad for the church, James killed, Peter in, uh, um, Peter in prison with the intent to kill, where did they go? They went to Mary's house. Do you think that was the first time they gathered at Mary's house? You think that was the first time they did that? Y'all come by my house if it's never been done before. Well, where you live, Mary? We've never been there before. See, the issue was this Mary had raised a young man and had created an environment where she didn't need to be known and top dog and talked about, but it was a place where people gathered and gathered for God's purposes. And as a matter of fact, it's a place where we saw one of those major miracles of the early church happen. It was at Mary's house. And you know they talked about it forever. We, we, we gathered at Mary's house to pray that day because they locked Peter up. And we thank God for Mary because we, we, we always got to her house. That was the place that came around. Let me ask you, growing up or even now, where is that place that you know folk can go that you will know where God is honored, where the focus is on the Lord, where the home is open, when you know that the, the owner and the ruler and that the mother of the house is going to be about God's business, but no one talks about it a whole lot. Mary is one of Mary raised a John Mark. Here's my deal. John didn't come without his flaws either. He was the John that although he started with Paul, he deserted them in the mission and Barnabas took him and he took his cousin and went and had him built up so that later on Paul tells them send John Mark because he is profitable and so here you have a young man raised in the home of prayer because that wasn't the first time she prayed raised in a home that honored God and raised in a home that was open toward the people of God. And what does he do? Ah, uh, he only does something like go on missionary journeys with Paul and Barnabas and then on those journeys with Barnabas. And then he sits and he pens a gospel that is said to be influenced by the, um, by the works of Peter. That's all he did. See, many times we like to talk about the people who have done great things, but we don't like to talk about the people who set those people up who have done great things. Some of you today are sitting here strong in your faith, the product of a mother who doesn't get a lot of fanfare. 
who has opened up her home to many, who is a woman of prayer, who leans in and makes sure that people stay rooted and connected. Oh, they don't need to be talked about much. But their impact speaks tremendously into the future. Moms, I'll tell you, you don't know what one of your children will do down the line. But I just want to ask, what are you setting them up to do? How have you positioned in your life who you are that you would have the influence that if God calls one of them to do what, what, what we would say are great things in the kingdom, that they'd be able to do it. Mark had his household. I love this, the, the godly household. Not only was his aunt known for prayer, but then you got a big-time cousin in Barnabas. This was a family. This was a family in which God used tremendously in different ways, highlighted and background. Turn with me, next one, to 2 Timothy. This one we're very familiar with. And you've heard me speak on this before. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I just want to make sure today in our short time that you guys remember and that you guys understand how the Lord wants to and has set you up. Starting at verse 3. And this is believed to be Paul's farewell letter. He was in a Roman prison and he would not get out. He would be martyred for his faith. And so he writes this letter to his son in the faith. He writes this letter to Timothy. And um, you got to understand the position he's in. And so the words that he says will have greater impact and will weigh heavier on you. Paul knows this is probably the last time he's going to write to someone. And that they'll get it. And he wants to make sure... He wants to ensure that the faith, that his son stays strong and that the church stays strong that he is pastoring. And it's interesting because Timothy was a young man who was probably least likely to be in the position that he's in. He wasn't there because he was this well-connected guy who had done so much. When you look at the background of Timothy, he was called to the front because he was known for his faithfulness in the faith. He was known as a strong and faithful believer. And so, you know, after he came to Christ and it's believed that Paul led him, although he came from a very godly home, that he grew in this faith and he was well spoken of in the Christian community. And so Paul grabbed him, but something about him, we know that he was timid. He was not one that was naturally out front because Paul had to encourage him to not let fear grip him to not let fear take him over. But he still had a good heart. He was still raised in a good home. He still understood the scriptures. We know that he was one that could be sickly because Paul had to tell him because he had these illnesses, especially as it governed his stomach. Paul actually tells him in one of the writings, don't just drink water, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. It'll help you. 
because of what was in the water. I know some of us like to take that as our cue. But only if your stomach is bad and you're drinking messed up water. No, but, 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 but we know that he was sickly and we know that he was young. And for the position that he was thrust into, he wasn't just the pastor of a church in Ephesus. He was over the general church in that city of Ephesus. And understand a very ungodly city in Ephesus. And you put this guy who was timid, who was sickly, and who was extremely young because Paul wrote and said, don't let anyone despise the fact that you're young. And so we know these three things about him. But yet he was a person that had developed and had been developed that God called him out and thrust him on the, on the front stage. And Paul, in his closing letter, writes to him, and in him thinking about Timothy, hear what he says. I thank God, verse 3, whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. So he's saying, as I think about you, Timothy, constantly, and my mind is on you, and the church that you are overseeing, knowing who you are, he says, as I think about those who have walked in the past, I have a clear conscience that I've walked like them, and I'm thinking about you at the same time. That's heavy. He's saying, you are, you are a weighty man. Then he says, as I remember your tears, that I may be filled with joy. And so he acknowledges the fact that, Timothy, this hasn't been easy, and you've cried over this. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Remember that his faith had been demonstrated truly and clearly, which is why he was initially called. So he says, look, I know this is hard. You've been crying. I remember it. When I think about those who have walked before us, that I am walking like them, I think about you, Timothy. What a compliment. But then he says, I remember, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. So you get this young man who is in a position that he probably would not have chosen. Oh, he wants to be a believer. He wants to be a Christian. He wants to honor God. He wants to be faithful, and he's thrust on the spotlight. And now Paul is encouraging him, and we realize that he needs encouragement. He's been crying over this as well as he leads his people in this ungodly city. And then it says to him, he said, look, I am reminded of your sincere faith. But then he reminds Timothy, once again, God-inspired word. He reminds Timothy, look, I'm inspired. He says, I'm reminded by that faith, but I realize that the faith that you have, although it is an individual decision that you made for Christ, and it's most likely that Paul led him to Christ, you grew up in a home where you saw sincere faith modeled and demonstrated. 
You saw that faith lived out daily. As a matter of fact, you saw it lived out generationally. Grandma lived it and you saw it. Mother was like grandmother and you saw it. What did you see? You see them living day in and day out. You saw them displaying faith that was true. Even though you may not have come to Christ at that time, you had no excuse as it was told me because you saw it demonstrated. You saw what real faith looked like. And because you did at some point, when you were challenged on embracing Christ as your Savior, you did. And then, just like your grandmother and just like your mother, your faith became sincere. Everyone talks about Timothy. Man, he's got two letters. He's got two books named after him. Everyone talks about Timothy. Back then, pastor of the church in Ephesus, Timothy. If it were today and he was going to speak at conferences, Timothy pastors that great mega church over there in Ephesus. But behind that Timothy were two generations of faithful women that no one talks about. But who they raised changed the world. See, my issue is whether you're recognized or not, what you were doing outside of these walls, in that home, how you influence. And let me just say, we're not looking, we're not looking for this. I'm perfect. I never make a mistake. I'm not flawed because we know that doesn't exist. But here's what we do know is that faithfulness is always seen over time, not just in an instant. Faithfulness is seen over years and what that means is even when you stumble, you trip, and you fall, faithfulness corrects itself, gets back on track, and lets people see an example that needs to be seen. And mothers, ain't nobody calling for you to be perfect. If they are, they don't understand motherhood. They don't understand humanity. But here's what we are calling for you to be, faithful. That your faith is sincere, that you're not playing games, that who you are when people see you in public is not who you are when you're in private. Because the influence that you have can be seen whenever God decides to highlight who you're influencing. You may never be highlighted well. You may be like one of these here in Scripture. You may be like them just mentioned in a sentence. I would say that's a big deal. You get mentioned in a sentence in Scripture, I was like, wow, that's huge. But you may just barely get mentioned. And what you do, though, is mentioned by others forever. You know, I've used my mother as an example. And again, not perfect at all, not flawless. But I remember because she had to help raise um, some of her grandchildren in those earlier days, um, and some of the 
some of the difficulties of life, especially on my sisters, and that she helped raise some of her grandchildren early on. And through what she learned, there was a good friend of ours who at the time was um, director in New York City of um, the Department of Aging and went to our church and a very good friend, worked with me in youth ministry and all. And so she would see what my mother would do and the influence that she had. And she said, I need to get you in front of other grandmothers um, that I talk with because I run a <clears throat> I run a grandparents program for grandparents that are raising their children, and I think they need to hear from you. And my mother would say, "Look, I, I I never went to college. I never had that kind of education. I just know what the Lord taught me and helped me." And she said, "That's all I need." And so she went and she would talk to these groups, and then they wanted her to come back because they were like, "Wow, what 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 Miss Carrie, my mother's first name." Um, what Miss Carrie had to say, we really wanted to hear. So they would have her come back again and have her come back. And then I remember when she was asked to speak at a national conference. And I remember talking to her. She was like, wow, they're flying me out to San Francisco. I, I, I just cannot believe that they're doing this. She was like, I'm uneducated. I said, Mom, they don't want you for your education. They want you for your education. They want you for what you've learned. They want you for what you've done, what you've practiced, how you've helped people. And so when she got into the room, she came back later and was saying she was like she was so shocked because there were there weren't just grandparents. There were heads of other programs. So there were PhDs in there and there were master's degrees and everyone was sitting listening to Miss Carrie Costin, who had gotten a high school education, grown up on the farm, moved to New York for a job with my dad and raised seven kids in Brooklyn, New York, became a believer I know somewhere in that process, like after me, but before my sister under me, she came to faith in Christ and then just grew. As a matter of fact, only lived to be 60 years old. And I was just like, no one talked about a whole lot until God decided to highlight the faithfulness. And then the faithfulness of her kids that would do different things. And I'm not saying that we're, we're, we're not, that we are Timothys and that we are John Marks. I'm not saying that at all. But the issue becomes who she put out there is a benefit to society. And I'm going to say to y'all, who you're putting out there or the influence that you're having on them, you don't need to have all these titles behind your name, but it doesn't hurt if you do. You don't need to have all these things said about you before, but it doesn't hurt if you do. But what you need to be is faithfully living day by day, letting God be seen so that the people that are seeing God in you will be prepared to do whatever God calls them to do when the moment warrants it. That's it. And if at the end of your life, you have a one-line sentence that says they gathered at your house to pray? Or that, hey, son, like your grandmother and your mother, you, you need to have a sincere faith? You've won. That's success. Because God was able to use your life to impact the lives of many others. Mothers of impact. Don't let the smallness of what you do, or as it seems you may be doing, keep you from continuing to do it.
You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.